ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. amateur hour i didn't mute the intro track but i'm talking anyway so we're on with uh <laughs> with bill Ayer of uh slayer duck calls um man chop it up about uh something you're about to come out with man and seasons approaching us and get into some elk uh that's that seems to be my favorite topic so before we get into all that man why don't we drop a little bit of the intro and let folks know uh who bill Ayer is and give us a little background man about what makes you tick on the mountain sounds good well thanks for for having me and it's funny because elk season is coming very quickly it's here in idaho it's been 100 you know between 97 and 102 degrees so it's hard to even think about elk hunting um but yeah it's it's just around the corner so i've I've actually been out scouting last week i'll be scouting this weekend and the following weekend so starting to get pumped up and ready But yeah, so Slayer Duck Calls, uh, you know, we're soon to be Slayer Game Calls. Um, you know, we've been building duck calls for about the last 10 years. I got really serious about it for the last, what, year or two, and really serious about it this season. So um, duck calls has been our thing, but we also um, are getting into elk calls. Within two weeks, we'll have a bugle tube that's coming out and three different uh, diaphragms. Um, super pumped up, you know. Um, I live here in, in elk country. I've been elk hunting for the last 25 years. And uh, there's nothing more than that excites me than two things, duck hunting and elk hunting, you know, being able to speak the language and communicate with an animal and bring them within yards is uh, to me, there's, there's nothing 
more uh, exciting than that. Oh, you know, if that, if, that do, if that doesn't raise the hair on the back of your neck and get That's you excited, amazing. I'm not sure what will. <laughs> yeah. Do you even have a heartbeat? Especially, I mean, for me, I'm not a, I'm not a wing shooter guy, man. I've gone duck hunting a couple of times and I am, uh, I'm deplorable. <laughs> you put a bow in my hand, man, and say I could, you know, chase, chase bulls and, and talk to them. It, it's something else, man. Yeah, and it's, you know, duck hunting is kind of the same way. You, you know, you're really trying to get them to come into a very specific area. You're you're watching them. You're you're watching and listening to them to you know, seeing what they're t- what they're telling you, what they want, and then you you hit it and when you get them to turn and bank and come in right where you want them, it's it's to me that's the best part of duck hunting and same thing with elk hunting, you know, you're hearing elk uh, or you may not be hearing elk, but when you get one to answer back um, to understand what it's telling you it wants and then to be able to communicate with it and give the right bugle, the right cow call back to make things happen. And then to have this bull come charging in at you at, at five yards is to me just is, is an, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. I think that is the has to, ha- I mean, outside of that, and it, it sounds cliche as I'll get up right. But outside of that thing being, one of the most majestic creatures that you'll ever lay your eyes on. It has to be something about the ability to best them at their game, right? That, that just gets us going with them. Yeah. I mean, they got bears, mountain lions, wolves chasing them. And, uh, all they're trying to do is survive and reproduce. And, uh, they live that world 24 seven from the time they're born and to try to, get inside their head or get inside that game and, and win is, is, uh, is awesome. And you know, when you finally put, you know, some Brown on the ground, it's, uh, it's quite the achievement. So, well, I mean, hence the, hence the 10% of guys and gals that could actually get her done every year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> most of the over counter here in Idaho, most of the over counter uh, tags are like 4%, 5%. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do say somewhere in that two to three percent of that ten percent is folks that just plumb have it figured out, right? That's the guys or gals that are successful every single year, year after yep. year after year. So you take you take them out of the mix, and then there's uh there's the rest of us that are sitting at that eighty nine eighty nine percent and below. <laughs> yeah, not a good, not a great place to be. But man, it keeps you coming back regardless. It does. I think we're close to 50%. We're probably just under 50% with my, my crew that I, I usually hunt with two other guys. Thank and you. so we're just under 50%. We hunt all mostly over the counter unless we draw something, but we haven't in, in years. So it's, it's all over the counter public land uh, hunts that we do. How's that? How's that all looking up there in Idaho as a resident since they changed oh, that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge, I, I mean, there's so many people moving into Idaho right now. Uh, from Washington and Oregon and California and even the, the East Coast. Um, so we're just getting more and more pressure on our public lands over the counter stuff. So it, it's definitely getting busier up here. You know, I remember that happening to Colorado, you know, I don't know how many years back it started happening, maybe 10 years ago, but um, it was getting really busy there. And now we're starting to see kind of that influx of people um, come in. Yeah, I saw something. What was it? Maybe it was someone I was talking to said that Colorado sold last year, sold 200,000 OTC tags this year, that 230,000 OTC tags, right? So some of those units went to, uh, 
to draw units. So it's just like, man, how how long can these landscapes and the herds sustain yeah. that amount of not killing but pressure? You know what I mean? That is a that's a phenomenal number of people in those OTC units. Yeah, we're actually going to hunt a different unit this year. We hunted it uh, what three years ago, um, but we're actually switching up the unit just to try to get to a less pressured area. It's and that and even that seems to be getting harder, right? I mean, you know, folks with pack animals and folks willing to, you know, do whatever it takes all year to kind of get in that, you know, I hate even saying it, backcountry shape. <laughs> yeah. I guess the nice part about that would be all that front country stuff, you know, a mile within a mile off the road, everybody's running by it because they're scared of crowds. The area that I hunted the last two years in Colorado was OTC. And last year we saw five guys and the year before was probably less than that, believe it or not, in that general vicinity, you know, call it a two, two and a half mile radius of, uh, of where we hit the trailhead. So it's pretty interesting to see everybody just make the run for, you know, what we consider the backcountry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's becoming a thing, right? There's more and more information at- uh, people's fingertips. They got Onyx maps and Google maps so they can start to really look for LP looking uh, um, terrain or habitat. Right. So and people are willing to put the work in, which I'm, you know, if people are willing to put the work in and, and scout and, and get in shape and do those hikes, I'm, you know, I don't get, I don't get sour on it. I, you know, more power to them, you know, and uh, you know, I think there's enough places to hunt. It's just uh I think it all goes to really knowing the elk and kind of where their little hides are when they do get pressured. Yeah. You still got to do the killing part, you know, with all, (laughs) right. Yeah. (laughs) That's, that's the part that, uh, that beats a lot of folks. Yeah. And I mean, and where do you, where do we draw the line, right. As, as hunters, if, if, you know, we all, you always hear, you know, our numbers are declining. Um, we need more hunters, you know, the triple R thing, um, just to see in my head, right. And I, and I want people out there, but just to see what people are being exposed to and the value sets that come along with hunting, right. If you're, if you're out there doing the right thing and and you are really experiencing hunting the way in my head, it should be experienced through hard work, perseverance, you know, getting your butt kicked. Uh, the values that come out of that manner are second to none. Yeah, I think it's it's awesome. My fear is, and I've seen this, um, you know, I've seen it on both sides, but my fear is that that people don't know what they're getting themselves into. You know, they can go hike with a 40-pound pack on and they could hike 12 miles. And uh, But, you know, have you hiked down into a canyon and dropped, you know, 1,500 feet in elevation and killed a, a 700-pound animal and have to come out with 80-pound packs? Um and, you know, I've seen this, I've heard about it that, you know, you know, some, you know, elk are being left behind because people are just can't, they're like, they you know, I can hike, but I didn't know I, you know, I didn't, I, I can't hike with that on my back, especially 1200 feet straight up. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know? that is a, probably a, uh, I don't want to say unspoken, but not spoken very often truth about it. And, and it is, I mean, that is probably worse than, you know, hitting an animal and not recovering it, right? You you get hands on that animal, come hell or high water, every bit of that 
usable animals should be meat, whatever it is, should be back at your vehicle headed home. And that is, yes. I just had that conversation with Jermaine Hodge the other day, and it's just like, man. Yeah, so I think, you know, with all the available information out there, I think, uh, you know, all these different folks who are talking about elk hunting and, and how to do it um, should also include, you know, the the ethical part of, of hunting and our responsibility to take care of the animals and and know what we're getting. You know, I don't think those people are just bad people. I, you know, they just probably didn't know what they were getting themselves into and they just physically were like, I, I can't do it, you know? And uh, so just really understand like, okay, like this is what it's about. And if you do kill something five miles back and you're straight down, it's going to be, you know, you got to have a plan for that. You got to have help or whatever, you know, whatever your physical ability is. (laughs) And a whole hell of a lot of will, because honestly, I don't care what your (laughs) physical ability is, man. It's going to it's going to take its toll. It is going to take its toll. I mean, you know, if you, you figure a guy, a guy packs out. Right. And and decides that he's going to be that. Call it mid country. Right. Because the more I hear, I hear guys that are like 12. I had a, a friend of mine say, hey, man, I got a spot um, that I, I'm willing to share with you, you know, but it's 12 miles. And you and you do the math. Right. I, and, and this particular season, I was planning on being solo um, and I'm like 12 miles with an elk that's at least at least five trips right elk plus gear there's no way yep. man i mean you do the math on that that's <laughs> that's a day and a half two days and you're yep. lucky to you know what i mean to feel like you're gonna survive on that and then my boy ended up going that year and i told him and he looked at me and he goes no way dad there's no way <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny because i talk to people and they're like yeah i'll kind of uh, a couple times i'm like well why don't you elk anymore he goes oh well you know, we, we killed an elk and um, getting it out of there was it was just a nightmare. And I'm not really up. You know, that's not my thing. Hey, that, that's, that's honest. I mean, you, you got to appreciate the honesty. You know? you know, for me, that's part of the fun of elk hunting. Like, you know, it's the preparation, it's the planning, it's the scouting. And then it's like putting together the food list. It's putting together, make sure all your tent stuff, camp, you know, vaulting, all that's in place. And then the anticipation, the build up to get there and then. You know, you're lucky enough to put one on the ground and, and then the war stories back at camp once you finally get the last bit of it out of there. With it, you know, that beer has probably never tasted that good when you pop that beer by the campfire after it's done, you know. It's the fastest throw the boots off at the truck ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, at the time, you're, you're, you know, you're like, why am I doing this? Like, good, good night. Why, am, you know, <laughs> why, why do I love this so much? But then after it's all done and you recover, you're like, oh man, that's the best thing ever. And then you go right back into the cycle, right? I mean, that's a, that's a vicious beast, man. I mean, you, you talk, you know, 11 months, 11 months of preparation. Cause as soon as September's over, we're, we're already thinking about the next go. Right. Yeah. And then it just, that cycle. I mean, if you got a deer tag or something, for me, elk is on the mind through those deer tags, and then it's just right back into it. And it's just, it's, it yeah. is nonstop, man. Yeah, uh, I, I call it the sickness. My wife says I go into depression after elk season. I, I actually do. <laughs> I go into this weird depression mode. And then luckily I have duck hunting that kind of soon follows, but, uh, and I do a little bit of deer hunting, but, um, Luckily, I have that to pull me out of depression. But uh, but yeah, my mind goes right back to like what we should have did, what we can do differently. These spots, new spots that we found, are they going to be better to, you know next year? Or you know, and your mind just starts racing, right? Man. Yeah, I'm I'm at the point. 
I think it's always about this time, actually a little sooner, but I'll, I'll start getting just buildup, man, just waiting and just the buildup. And typically I'm already hunting. Our, our deer season here starts in uh, the end of June, early July. Well, I forego that. So I have September. So now, because I'm not chasing deer every week, right? I'm, I'm beyond anxious, man. My temper is horrible. Everything just sets me off. <laughs> just everything is a trigger. Man. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. It's like two more weeks, two more weeks. So man, what, how, how do you go? I mean, outside of, you know, love and elk hunting, what, what makes you say, okay, we're, we're in this duck call game. Let's jump into the elk call world. Well, you know, I just, uh, I just, you know, I personally feel like there, there are some good products on the market, you know, in the market for duck hunting and elk hunting. Um, the duck call market could stand for, you know, another player who's, who's putting high quality, um, products out there at a price that's affordable for, you know, uh, a majority of the people out there, but something that somebody can own for a lifetime. That's built super well. It's built here in the USA. Um, and then, you know, I'm looking at the elk calls. I'm like, well, most of this stuff is built in China. Um, you know, some of this is, is gone this way or that way. And I, I, I just, I want to put products that, you know, I don't want to put a mediocre product out there. I don't want to put a low end product. I want to put something that somebody could be super proud of, knows going to work really well and is going to last for a long time. Um, I just, that's, that's my thing. So when I look at, you know, when I walk through Cabela's and stuff, I'm like, this isn't, this isn't quality. So I want to put something high quality in the market. Um, and then, you know, my thing, my passion is, is elk hunting and duck hunting. I mean, that's what I love to do. And so, um, with, with that, that, that I want to, you know, I want to promote the sport of hunting and make sure that the new generations of folks are getting involved in it. I want to help preserve the, the habitat for our wildlife. So, you know, next generation could also, you know, indulge himself and have fun at the sport of hunting. So, you know, I think all that together is, is my way of giving back to something that's given so much to me. I've been, you know, hunting elk and ducks for elk probably for 25 years and ducks for shoot I hate to admit this I just turned 50 but 40 years um and, and this sport has given me so much it's time for me to to give back you know and you think about elk calls like who who's building elk calls you know there's there's a couple people out there that are doing it but you know how long are they going to be doing it for how long are they going to be around so I want to build Slayer Duck Calls to be a company that's around for the next 25 years you know giving products to people and the next generation to to do what I love so much and give back to it. And then 10% of everything we give, we give back to, to people like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, Delta Waterfowl, California Waterfowl Association. So we're giving back to those, those, uh, those folks so that they can preserve habitat for our wildlife. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why I'm involved in this. It's not just one thing or, or this or that it, it's, it's a full circle. Yeah. I don't you know think, what I'm, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. Go ahead. Oh, no, you know, and I also want to help people take uh, their, their, their game from the, the field to plate. You know, um, I hear so many people, ah, you know, duck hunting. I just, I don't, you know, I just give them away or I make jerky out of them um, or, you know, venison, it's okay. So I want to help people, you know, be able to enjoy the, the game that they kill. And so, you know, we've teamed up with a couple different chefs that are, you know, the next, you know, each month comes out, we'll be giving new recipes for duck and venison and for elk and all that good stuff. So people can 
not only kill it, but then enjoy it at home on their, on the table. Nice. So with the diaphragms, what, uh, you said you have three of them coming out. What, uh, what are the offerings there? Is that, you know, is the difference in the latex or how is that looking? Yeah, it's just going to be tension on the, the latex. It'll be, you know, what we found is that, you know, the more experienced the collar is, the tighter you can go on the, on the latex. And with that, you can get more range. You can get, you know, you get higher pitch, you can get, you know, you can get low and dirty with it. You can do a lot of different calls. Um, if you're less experienced with a mouth diaphragm, the less tension that you're going to want, um, it's just going to be easier for you to make bulky sounds. Um, it's like a duck call too. You know, you have a, a double read duck call. It's more for the inexperienced or, or, you know, middle of the pack. And then as you get more advanced with your, your calling, you're using your diaphragm in your air, you can move into a single read and get a lot more ducky and a lot more range. And so that, those will be the three different offerings and diaphragms. It'll be a looser, um, tension on the, on the latex and it'll be a, a mid range, uh, tension, tension to, uh, a tighter tension. So I sent you some bullets and we, we, we haven't talked about them. Right. And no. for me, you know, like you said, when, when I, when I'm done with the season, right. I start reflecting immediately on what I did wrong, what I could have done better. Um, and then just the stuff that I picked up from the ilk, right. What, what they taught me through that season, good, bad, or indifferent in my eyes at the time. Um, but calling, favors the well-versed, right? So a lot of, uh, you know, there's strategies, right? I'm not, I'm not saying one strategy that a guy uses or has is better than another, but for me, your repertoire has to be pretty well-rounded, right? If you're going to be in that 10%, your repertoire needs to be well-rounded. You can't, you can't have that one, you know, that one note bugle and think you're going to be successful, call it 50% of the time. What, yeah. Where do you stand in, in, you know, that calling favors the will first? Well, I mean, I still have a ton to learn as far as the, the elk language. I mean, there's people out there who I believe understand it better than, than um, probably anybody. I mean, there's guys like Paul Mendel with Elknut who I feel like he can, he understands. I mean, I think he talks elk, like, you know, he probably speaks <laughs> elk, right? Like he hears an elk and he can tell you exactly what their, their motivation is, what their mood is and what they're asking. Um, so I'm still learning, but that's, that's the place I want to get to, you know, I, I, I personally, you know, I've, I've been that guy who goes around and does location bugles and, you know, and then I'll use a location bugle all the way in hoping that I kill, kill a bull. Um, but it's like, why is this bull just kind of rounding up his cows and keep walking away from me, you know, and that was 10 years ago. And, and so now it's, it's really trying to understand the, the motivation, the mood, the aggression and what that those elk are asking or telling you, and then to respond accordingly. Um, so there's, there's no one trick pony, like you, the, the elk are, you know, it's just like a dog, right. That wants to get out um at the door it might whimper it might whine it might have a, like a low bark and then you know if somebody comes to the front door the bark is completely different it has a different motivation it has a different aggression it has a different tone right um and the dog is telling you something so and it's the same with the elk is you know a bull may say hey come over here you know join the herd and then you let out this big old you know aggressive bugle that says hey i want to fight you 
he's like, oh, that's not what I wanted. Right. Um, or, or he maybe, you know, have a cow and estrus. And so then, you know, then there's a whole nother thing that you might do to, to get that bull to come over and say, Hey, stay away from here. So it's just, it depends on what those elk are telling you versus, you know, this is what I do. And this is how I kill elk every year. We had a, I got a couple things there. First off, another great resource. You, you said Paul and, and I've talked to Paul a couple times and I don't know that there's anyone that I've ever met, talked to, seen that is more passionate about elk in every facet than that man right there. <laughs> Second is Chris Rowe, dude. Phenomenal, phenomenal resource in terms of behavior. I mean, just just on his you get on his website and you look at some of the things he has like one video is like i think it's 28 or 38 minutes and it's just cow and calves just romping around and playing and talking um it is to watch the body language and everything as they interact is in my opinion right it's it's phenomenal uh it's things that you know unless you sit there for 38 minutes and film them like he did, you're not going to see that interaction in that setting to where everything is relaxed as much as I want to pay attention when I'm in them. I can't because I have this killing part on my mind the whole time. <laughs> right. So, so paying attention to him as much as I can is sometimes lost. Uh, but man, he is, he's a phenomenal, a phenomenal resource in terms of, you know, in my head, getting that understanding um with the elk but we had a scenario last year was it last year it was last year talking about the kind of the one trick pony thing and i it was i think it was 10 days of getting brutalized out there and i just we're we're kind of ridge running i threw out a locate and uh we got a bugle back and i go okay cool you know so we're listening and just kind of waiting we start moving in direction and then i don't know maybe 10 to 15 seconds after the locate, just challenge, like just challenging me. And I'm like, okay, that right there, that, that is not an elk <laughs> challenging. <laughs> I'm going, you gotta be kidding me. Right. And yeah. I know the first one was, was, you know, uh, you know, that locate like, Hey, I'm over here. So I hit the locate again and immediately the guy starts challenging me. And again, it was, and I shouldn't do this. Right. Cause I'm, I'm just, at this point, I'm just as bad as the next guy. And I just said, okay, I'm going to play with this dude. The wind is full in our face. He's like 200 yards away. And you can, as he challenged bugles me, as he's coming up, you could just hear it, right? I mean, the wind is, it was like, if, if I had a better nose, I could have smelled the dude. Um, <laughs> and that's all he did the whole time. And it was just, it was horrible to do it. And it wasn't great for our scenario because I just would locate and then he would he would just automatically challenge, 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 chuckle, challenge. And it was just like, good Lord, man, wins to your back, brother. What are you doing? So it, it's always fun to me when when that repertoire, I shouldn't say that, uh, <laughs> but when that repertoire is, is so limited, um, it, I don't know. That, that yeah, I digress. I'll get away from that because I'm going to sound like an asshole. We got to do better. In my opinion, I think there's a level, especially the area that I've been hunting. After opener, the the bulls are silent. I mean, it is it is quiet as a mouse. The ear, you might hear a bugle 
three or four times in that area. I was there, I was on the mountain 23 days last year and I can count on half of one hand, the amount of bugles after opener that we heard in 23 days. So it's not helping that we're out there screaming through those. Um, but yeah. that's the, the fun part of it, man. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the fun and the frustration, right. And, you know, we, we run and gun it's, you know, some long time ago, my dad told me something when I was a kid, it didn't make sense, but now it makes total sense. But the elk are where you find them. Yep. And you know, they're bugling usually somewhere, you know, if there's a hot cow in there, they just, they, they can't, they can't, they can't hold back, you know? And, uh, so I've just learned like, if they're not in this drainage, just keep looking at the next drainage and next drainage. And, you know, we'll drive 20 miles some days to go, go check drainages. And, you know, eventually they are where you find them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This particular unit, it has, I mean, it has great numbers. Um, they just, you know, they're going from A to B and you best to catch them between A and B somewhere. Uh, yeah. B is typically some private. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. And, and they're so they're, they're pretty habituated to these five benches to get them there. And it, it's just really a matter of what bench you choose on any given day. Um, that's yeah. going to, you know, correlate to success there. Yeah. We, we hunted a spot like that. They'd come up out of private to go bed down and they had one of five different drainages to choose from to come up out of there. And so, you, you know, we always figured we'd have a one in five chance and it, you know, it, there was no rhyme or reason which one they picked. You know, we tried to figure it out. We hunted it for years and um, it was like, okay, I think they're going up this one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you try to sit up on top and ambush them and get them that way. And, uh, you know, we, we picked it right a couple of times, but uh, it was just so hard because, you know, I wish I knew what was going through their head to pick which bench or which drainage, you know? Yeah. We always seem to pick the, <laughs> pick the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. It never helps, you know, you're, you're making your way to that one particular bench and you have that kind of random crossing prior to any of the benches. And it's just like, oh, man. But if it was uh, if it was that easy to get it done, man, we probably wouldn't be out there chasing them. Yeah. You know, talking about, you know, calling favors, the well-versed and, and uh, you know, in that situation that you, you were talking about where you did location and you guys were, you know, um, you going back and forth and doing the challenger challenging bowl. Um, one of the setups I like to do is, is act like I got a, a cow in heat, you know, if you're 200 yards, maybe get, you know, try to get to about a hundred yards and then take a bowl and try to act like you have a cow in heat and rake and just huff and puff and pant and, and, uh, and just make a ton of noise and then the bull the bull still won't come over but then you just hit it with a cow call that says you know kind of a whiny cow call saying hey come over here and i've had probably five out ten times i'd do that that bull will come charging over um you know it's just another thing that's that's in my back pocket and i'll, I'll try it doesn't always work but that's to me, that is one of the most exciting things because, you know, you're doing what you like. You know, we all like to use our bugles. We all like to make a bunch of noise and rake. Um, and I've done the opposite. I've raked and done, did all that in the wrong time and actually pushed bolts away from it. But, you know, if a bull's willing to challenge me on a call, it's saying, hey, I might be willing to fight. And then if you act like you got one in, in heat, um, 
and then do just immediately after do a cow call to call him over. <laughs> That's to me one of the most exciting setups I've ever been in. I man, I talk about raking that that has become one of my favorite, you know, call it low audible calls. I mean, it is super fun to do, man. And when you get a bull, you know, within 20, 30, 40 yards and he's raking back to you and you can, you know, see him tearing it up. It's uh man, that's a blast. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you hear him glunking over there and he's tearing stuff up. And then, so I'll try to act like that bull. And then, you know, you'd be surprised how many bulls will go, Oh, you got something in the heat over there. You know, you're losing your mind. Let me come over and check it out. Yeah. you saw, and, and What was that? Nah, what are we in? So 20, 2019 season on, uh, the evening we got there, we were setting up base camp and, uh, we had a bull just, just down from us. I mean, I don't know, maybe 40 yards. And we, we did that breeding sequence, you know, essentially what you're talking about. And that bull hung out at the bottom of the hill, just raking in these little new grows, um, for a good 35 minutes, man, just, just a blast. And it was cool. It was my, my boy's first elk hunt. So to have him there and experience that was, uh, was exceptional, man. And I don't think there's anything that really holds them in as long. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Get me fired up. Oh. What are we three weeks away? If <laughs> I can't, uh, yeah, I started, I uh, got all the gear packed. It took me about, I don't know, four days to kind of go through and make sure everything was up to snuff again and pull it out of the bins and organize and, I don't think I'll be doing, I usually organize, reorganize at least twice, but I, I think I got it all fit, uh, fit, ready to go. Just got to load up the, uh, the calories, man. And it's, uh, it's off to the races again. Oh, no, I gotta get the wife's, the wife's pack loaded, but yeah, oh, there you go. Uh, don't forget her pack. Nope. She'll come out for a few days and fly in and then drive her back down to the airport and fly her out. And that's a great time in the woods. You guys are hunting Colorado this year? Yeah, we'll be in Colorado. I got a, a bull only tag in uh in southwestern Colorado. So we'll see. Oh, gotcha. different, different area, never been into it, but uh I hear it's supposed to be a really good area. And last year a buddy of mine was in there, said the bulls were screaming and they were in there for ten days. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can get into some get into some talk, a little more talk this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in a little bit of a pickle this year. Um, I like putting up my wall tent, you know, it's usually super warm and you don't need it. Um, but every time I don't put it up, it rains, even we, we've gotten the snow and I also like to be mobile. Right. And so it's like the wall tent, you feel like you're kind of stuck there. Cause it's, it's a, what is it? A 16 by 20. So it's not something you just rip down and move real quick. Um, and then I had, uh, a van that I had one of these, uh, I call it my hunt mobile is set up like a sports mobile and I could just drive up to the drainage, spend the night, hit it, check it. And then go hit the next drainage. You know, it takes me 10 minutes to pull everything out camp and, uh, I, I can move fairly quickly. Um, sold the van this year. So I don't, you know, I'm kind of in a pickle. Like, do I put the wall tent up and feel like I'm stuck in an area? Do I just put up a tent so I could rip it down and move? Yeah. That's so what we, uh... yeah. A little bit of a pickle. I'm not sure what I'm going to do just yet. So I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, we've kind of gone hybrid with that scenario where where everything is based around that ability to get mobile really fast, right? 
because the time you spent tearing down is time you're not on the road, time you're not looking for elk. Because that's yeah. how we started was was with the wall tent. And man, the, you know, it's great to have all the comforts um, set up and, you know, the table laid out and the big old tent and have all the creature comforts in the tent and sleeping all nice. But man, the teardown is uh, as something else. Yeah, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm leaning towards not doing it. Uh, but, you know, I also don't like sleeping in a small tent on, on the ground, <laughs> you know. I, I so. hammock it, man. Last year, that's I just hung the hammock between two trees right behind the vehicle. And, yeah. uh, you know, the plan is always, right, is, is, you know, a minimum of two to three days out if, if need be, right, and we'll pack out as far as, as we deem necessary within our ability. And uh, unless the elk are close and, and it so, you know, worked out last year that they were within a mile, mile and a half of, of where we had set up camp. So we were back and forth every day, no problem. And I just hung yeah. the hammock, man, hung the hammock. And it got, we got a little bit of weather uh, probably six or seven days in. So we just grabbed the tarp out and put the tarp up over the hammock. And that was all good until I got, well, no, I got snowed on. Woke up at like two in the morning, getting snowed on. That's what made me put the tarp up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I might go that route this year because um, we we will spike out. We're hunting really big country this year, and the last thing you want to do is come out to sleep and then have to go right back in in the morning. Yeah. Um, and you know we're not. You know we're going a couple miles in. We're not. We're not going that far. But uh, if you just stay back there for a day or two, it's, it sure makes it nice. Mm-hmm. How, how far in that scenario, if, if you get in them, how far away from the elk do you tend to spike out? Um, I will actually, we'll actually follow them throughout the night. So we'll just kind of, you know, if they sit down to bed in their nighttime areas, that's usually in open areas. So we, we know if they're headed towards those open areas, they're probably looking to bed down at some point. So we'll go and try to stay downwind at about 500 yards to, you know, just to barely be able to hear them mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll bed down with them. Um, so if they're moving into, you know, big dark country, then we, we tend to just sit down there and then try to find them again, you know, in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually a lot closer than, than most folks. Most folks will say they back out, you know, a good mile or so. Yeah. Yeah, if we know they're going to bed down and we know the wind's going to stay steady in that direction, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll five, 600 yards or just outside of earshot. But, uh, yeah, and we've made the mistake where the wind changes and you're like, oh, they're gone. Busted us. Yeah. I guess in, in any approach, there's there's risk. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things we always, you know, I tend not to be super aggressive and the guy I hunt with tends to be like, you know, Oh, well, if we lose them, then we're at, you know, we're at, you know, we're back to square one. And, and so he's more on the aggressive side. So we try to figure somewhere in the middle, you know, and so he's that debate, like, hey, uh, you know, if we lose them and we got to refine them, then if we spook them, they're gone. Right. That's, that's the checks and balances. The problem is, is who's getting blamed in the morning is, uh, <laughs> is the bigger yeah. issue, man. Yeah. I like to, I like to blame him if they win us. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that's just part of that game. How does that how does that lend itself though? If you're, I know for me, if I'm if I was that close and I'm and I'm in earshot, it'd be a sleepless night, man. 
Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, we, we you know we have to go back to base camp because when you spike out, you just do not. You know, we, we're in bear wolf, wolf country and a lot of mountain lions. So you know, even if you're even if you think you're sleeping, you still got one eye open, right? And then you're so fired up about the elk and and you're hearing them. It's it's just, it's almost impossible to sleep. So you you know you for me two days out like that is about all I can do. Um, I just, and I'm not good with lack of sleep, so I have to get back and get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Cause what happens, what happens with me, man, after about two or three days, it's every time I stop, my chin is hitting my chest. Like I'm, you know, I, I can't sustain, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> sit <laughs> that's down. how I am. I want to sleep. I got to sleep. Yeah. Sit down for a quick break and it's over with. I think that's an age thing though. You hit a certain <laughs> age, man. It's just like, you know. As soon as I get a little comfort, the head is just falling back or falling forward. Yeah, it's it's so much. I mean, all that stuff, like, you know, just every little aspect of elk hunting, I love, like, I love going out and spiking out with them. Um, I love getting on them that way. And just the whole, there's, there's not one thing that I don't like about elk hunting. Like, just all those things fire me up. Yeah, even the, well, if you're out there with your buddy, even the mess talking, that's one of the, to me, just walking around all day talking trash, especially if something's blown or, you know, you just get to, just get to go after it, man. Yeah. My buddy missed uh, quite a few elk last year. Um, for whatever reason, he was shooting over their back, but uh, so he needs to redeem himself. So if he, if he does that again this year, I don't think I'll ever let him. But live it down. Oh, he probably hasn't lived it down since last year. <laughs> That's the first thing he's going to hear when walking into camp this year, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah. In, in terms of strategy, you know, what are, do you usually go in with a game plan or are you, are you just kind of by the seat of the pants and let the elk dictate it? Yeah, I let the elk dictate it. Uh, you know, one of the, the things I really struggle with is, you know, you look through magazines and you look, you know, you watch uh, elk hunting on TV and you, you see them in these big open meadows and these like ideal spots with a stream running through it. And so I, what I feel like I've done is I get these preconceived uh, ideas in my head, how the elk, where the elk should be and how they should act. <laughs> and so... Yeah, it's crazy. It's just crazy to me, and I should know better, but I still do it to this day. Um, and you got to realize most of those magazine shots and TV shots are on private land with undisturbed elk, right, that aren't pressured. Um, but, you know, like you were just saying, after opening day, those elk are they're on high alert. They're probably staying in private. They're probably not even crossing over to the, the benches, um, and they're just hunkering down or whatever, right? Like, they get smart really fast, so... So for me, it's, it's trying to get rid of all those preconceived, um, ideas that I have where they should be. Um, at the end of the day, they're animals, right? All they need is cover food and, and water. And as long as they feel safe, they'll stay there. You know, um, there's a herd we were chasing last year. Literally we're, we're within a, probably a half mile area. They'd go out to feed, they'd come down and water, they go to their bed and they would do this little horseshoe every single day. Um, and then we disturbed them and then they're over the next ridge. Um, right. And doing the same exact thing over there where they had plenty of food, plenty of water and plenty of, of uh, shelter for bed bedding. So, so I just try to let, you know, long story short, try to let the elk dictate what I do and try to just remove any preconceived ideas I have of what they should be doing. Yeah. That's easier uh, said than done in most instances. Yeah. 
it's taken me a long time to figure that out. Like, you know, um, you glass these big open areas and this or that, and you're like, eh, you know, that's pretty close to a road. They're probably not going to be there. By that again, I, my opinion is that's where the majority of them are at now. Cause everybody's running deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's, I, exactly. th- that's the only way that I can explain what I've seen over the last two seasons is no one in that area where the elk are. That that's the, I know there's vehicles there. I know that there's guys that are going up and down the road, but I'm not seeing them, but I'm seeing the elk that, that has to mean that you guys pushed them over that next Ridge after running that horseshoe and they busted you right over to where we're at. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's, it's just crazy. And, you know, they're like ghosts, right? You know, you're on them one day and then all of a sudden they disappear. And they're, you know, we have horses here. Um, my wife's in the horses and whatnot. And, you know, they're, they're big animals, right? They need a lot of food. They need a lot of water and they leave a lot of sign. And, you know, you get on a herd of 30, 40 elk, you see all the sign where they're at. And then all of a sudden they disappear and you're like, you know, they can't just disappear. They, you know, they've got to leave sign. They've got to go to places with plenty of water. And we search and we search and sometimes you don't find them. And then all of a sudden there they are. That's, that should be interesting, right? In a lot of areas this year, um, you know, folks are hollering drought. Um, I don't know. I hear that word and that's kind of a a man-made construct, right? When, When we say drought, is that that is something that we've built around our usage, right? Or, or our consumption of water or the need levels of our society, right? That doesn't necessarily mean it's a drought in the mountains, in, in my opinion. Um, but that's what we're hearing a lot of is, you know, drought, 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 drought. And that's one that's been one of the challenges in that area I like so much is water. Water doesn't mean much of anything when it's very abundant um, because they can, you can't sit a watering hole and there's 50 of them in a half mile radius, you know, yep. they don't need that water as if you know everything else was dried up. How does Idaho look this year with, with that heat you guys are, are getting? Yeah. It, it's, yeah. It's going to be definitely dry. Um, we're low, you know, we're not nearly, you know, nowhere close to like California drought, but uh, we had a low, a low snow snowpack last year. So we're, you know, I don't know. I don't think you called a drought, but we're definitely on the dry side of things. Um, in most areas I've hunted, there's abundant water, you know? So for me, I just check, I check each drainage and, and see if I get something, you know, if I can see any sign or hear anything, um, you know, where we're hunting this year, there's abundant uh, water. And, you know, it's funny because we're even where you don't see water, there's so many seeps and so many watering holes that I, or tuck back that they all know about, you know, how often do you stumble upon something like, Oh my God, it's an oasis. Didn't even know it was here, you know? Yeah. You said and, California, they're hollering that here, but man, my, my home range is for this time of year is as green as I've ever seen it this late in the season. And there's water everywhere. I mean, it yeah. just, it, it's unbelievable. And we've, well, Unlike you guys in Washington and Oregon, we've been unseasonably cool. Um, I mean, may, maybe a total of two weeks with, with, with heat above 90. Um, it's been really, really cool here. Yeah. Now, we've had two months of extreme uh, heat. Yeah, it's been crazy. So, 
Yeah, I don't know what it's going to look like up there. Um, it'd be curious. I, you know, went up scouting last weekend and it looked, it looked pretty good. I mean, it was dry, but there's, it looked pretty good. So, uh, next couple of weeks, I'll be curious to see what it looks like. So I'm going to, this is something that I didn't have, you know, on our little bullet list there. Not that, you know, so folks don't think we're, we're scripting the episodes, but so I just, I just launched this giveaway type deal with, uh, with a bunch of friends in the industry. Right. And, and it, the benefit is to sportsman's Alliance. And you had said something earlier that kind of triggered the thought, um, just talking about new folks getting out into the woods, um, and, you know, wanting to, <clears throat> excuse me, wanting to make sure that they know what they're getting into. So it just made, it kind of spawned the thought in my head when it comes to sustaining our way of life, sustaining our passion. Um, I don't want to use the word conservation so much, um, but preservation of our way of life. Yeah. That is something that should be paramount in recruitment or helping or aiding or getting information out to new hunters um, or, you know, people that are thinking about doing it. Um, what's your thought on, on passing that information forward a lot sooner? And I could speak for myself and, and we're close to the same age, but back, you know, when, when we were wet behind the ears, if you will, the information in terms of conservation and, and preservation and triple R's, things like that, it was virtually non-existent. Like this push yeah. for this has been something very, very new, really. Um, you know, yeah. in the last decade or so, it's really become, to, you know, really come to the forefront um, and need be. But what's your opinion of, of getting that stuff out into those new hunters and starting them down that path a lot sooner? Yeah, you know, us as hunters, we, we're funny, right? We're very, very passionate about what we do. Um, and with that passion, there, there's something intimate about what we do, right? Um, I mean, taking a life of a, an elk is not something that should be easy for anybody. Um, and it's a big deal, right? And then um, along with that, it's, it's intimate because we've most likely done it with our fathers or grandfathers or uncles like somebody we were really close with and experienced some really good times with, um, and, 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 and shared those moments right in the back country and, and hunting. So we tend to be, I think we tend to be very, um, close, keep our cards close to our chest and, and don't like to share this information. Um, and then there's also the fact that, you know, we don't want our areas pressured, you know, even though we want more hunters, but we don't want them in our area. Um, so we tend to hold our, our cards even closer to our chest. And I think as hunters, you know, we, we have to give back to it, but we have to teach the, the youngsters or the new generations or the new, you know, the generation, you know, generate the first generation hunters, however old they may be, they might be 50, they might be 40, right. Who want to get involved in it. I think, you know, getting the information out there and getting the right information out there is I think, um, super important. Um, so that people are doing things that are ethical people are, you know, there's a lot of unwritten rules to, to hunting that, that should be public, um, knowledge, right. Um, you know, what if somebody's in a Canyon and they're calling elk, do you just run and you hear other elk bugle and do you run down there and try to try to stir them up, right? Like what's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? Um, you know, if there's a car at a trailhead, is it okay to, to go up that trailhead or is that that person's spot for the day? 
um, what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. Um, so that, you know, you being a, a new hunter, you're not making other people mad um, and vice versa, right? Like you're not getting mad at things that you shouldn't be getting mad at. So I, there's, there's a million reasons why I think the information should be put out there and uh, the correct information. And, you know, I think as a, as hunters, we shouldn't be so guarded to, to help others, you know? Heck yeah. That, that, uh, that's one of our dichotomies, I guess. Right. When, when we look at it, um, like you're saying, we we, we want them, but we don't want them in our area. I, I, I laughed when you said that, cause man, that's so true. Guys get pissed. And it, <laughs> it, it's really like a, I don't want to say the ethics of it, right? There's an etiquette part of it that you can, cross, you can cross lines that don't necessarily cross morality. Um, but there's this fine line we treat between ethics, etiquette, and the morals of, of what we do. And it's yeah. a very interesting tightrope, if you will. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in the headbanger days, right? With Metallica and all that good stuff. And I was... I used to go to those concerts and, and go mosh down in the pits and, you know, you're down there and you're, you're kind of, you know, knocking each other out, but there was this unwritten rule. Like if somebody went to the ground, no matter what, you might've been the one that knocked on the ground, you pick him up and make sure he's okay. You know? And, uh, and there's this unwritten rule and etiquette to, to hunting that, uh, some, you know, the new people just don't know it and they're not trying to be jerks. They're just, they just don't know it. And so let, let's tell them what it is. You know, that's a, that's a heck of an analogy, man. Cause yeah, you, you're in the mosh pit and the guy that the guy that is dirty about it is the guy that gets his ass. Stomped. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't be that guy. I've seen a bunch of those guys, man. And they, uh, it never fares well for the guy that thinks he's Billy badass in the pit, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's 50 other guys just keeping an eye on you. Yeah, buddy. He's, uh, that guy is done. So man, uh, why don't we uh, drop the information about uh, Slayer again, where folks can find the calls when you anticipate them, you know, drop and hopefully they're out before, uh, before that September 1st date, man. I know it, it's a, it has been a mad run to try to get them. Uh, I wanted to, to do it by the end of July, but yeah, if you go to slayerduckcalls.com and we should have them online and ready to sell in, in two weeks. So um come check us out i think you'll be pleasantly surprised at the quality and the, the sound that you're going to get and the ability to, to call an elk so love to love to bring those folks into the slayer family and, and go on this journey together and then what about the instagram handle yeah instagram is slayer.calls.com or slayer.calls cool man well sure, yeah. bill i appreciate the time man i look forward to uh seeing those calls and maybe tooting on a diaphragm and seeing how they do. Um, and best of luck, man, this, uh, this season, I would say with duck, but I could care less about duck, but man, I'll <laughs> knock them dead in the Oak woods. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's going to be a fun season. And I'm hunting, hunting with one guy I've never hunt, hunted with before. And then one guy I've hunted with my whole life. So it's, it's going to be a fun trip and, you know, best luck to you guys out there. Stay safe and, and go kill a big one. And, and we'll go from there. I'd love to see some pictures. Yeah. All right, guy. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.